Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. And today I have Dr. Sabine Hazen, a leading researcher on the gut, and we embark on our microbiome chat. She's a GI doc who has uncovered some amazing science about gut health. You'll get to meet her right after this. I'm on the Akles Carpet One website right now, and if there's any home improvement project you have brewing for 2024, now's the time to pull the trigger. They have great deals, they always do, and these change. So if you're listening to this in a month other than January of 2024, definitely still check it out because they have things that are seasonal. They have products that they think, you know what, inventory's low, let's get rid of it, and they have really good prices. But I'm looking at the different options and what you need to know about. Now, I say anything really ceiling to floor they can help with because now they can do bathrooms they can do kitchens and but it is the flooring that gave Richard Akel his rightful place as king of flooring in Arkansas so they've got the tile the carpet the luxury vinyl that's what people are going crazy for right now and they can show you the different things you can order samples Guys, their customer service is so good. They will beat the big box store prices. Yeah, stop your device and rewind that. They will beat the big box store prices. They stand behind all their work. They have the best installers. I know because I'm a customer. You can be too. Find them on their website or in the show notes, aclescarpet1.com. If you are looking for non-GMO, naturally gluten-free, American Farm Milled Rice. Welcome to RalstonFamilyFarms.com. That's the website. That's where you can find the products that you can actually buy and have sent to your home, or likely you have a grocery store that sells it. Here in Arkansas, I see it at Whole Foods. I see it at Fresh Market. I see it at Kroger. The major grocery stores definitely have it, but you might be listening someplace that you're not, it's not convenient for you, you don't have accessibility, then I say hop on their website and order the, the rice. And now let me tell you my favorites, well, kind of all of them, but guys, I'm crazy about the purple rice. That's really my husband's favorite. It's just, it's almost meaty. It's so hearty and it has protein in it. The basmati rice we use all the time because of the fragrance. The jasmine rice, well, you see, I'm kind of liking all of them. So if that's the case, get one of the gift boxes. You can get all the different varieties there or you can get a six pack of any of these. And if you really want to get deep, 25 pound buckets you can do that you can order that right now have it shipped to your door and this is the website with all the good recipes on what to do with the rice helps you with that what to cook dilemma find out more information at ralstonfamilyfarms.com she won most talkative in high school and she has been running her mouth ever since welcome to the lisa fisher said podcast with your host lisa fisher Not often do we get to talk to the gut doctors, and the gut doctors really are, uh, I mean, if you look at us, uh, the backbone of our health, because we've learned so much. Don't you think in the last 10 or 15 years, Dr. Hazen, the last 10 or 15 years, we've now talked about the gut, which, you know, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, medical school never mentioned it. Don't you love that you're now the star of the medical show? You know, I love it. I love it. And uh, and I think, uh, you know, Hippocrates started with 2,500 years ago saying, you know, all disease begins in the gut. And here we are. GI he is did. the most important uh, specialty in medicine <laughs> in a way. So isn't that something? So when you first started, what what you, you probably did a lot of, in clinic and then in you know, the OR or wherever you would do procedures, a lot of upper GIs, a lot of colonoscopies. You would give a PPI, send them home. Tell me how that landscape, and I know you may not see patients as much now because you do so much research, but tell me so much how that has changed for you now as your vision for what what you want a practicing GI to do. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I started the field when when colonoscopy just became this long tube, right? It used to be we were so close to the rectum, 
and and it was the yeah, scope the was really right? close. It was a different, yeah, and it was you, you couldn't go yeah. all the way to the to the colon when I started. And so wow. when the flexible endoscopy started, it was right at the year that I started my internship and my residency and my fellowship in GI. And so it was fascinating to see the evolution of this field, you know, and also with the perspective of as a woman gastroenterologist, you know, I was the first woman at University of Florida 30 years ago to be accepted, which wow. is kind of wow. so hard to believe, right? I mean, you know, it was I only know. 30 years ago. We were literally 10 women in the associations in GI, in the meetings, right? The bathroom was empty. And now I see thousands <laughs> of women. So, you know, it's amazing. Uh, and and it was, it's an interesting field because I think, I feel that as women, we brought in a lot to GI because, you know, women are just more nurturing. They're more, they, they question things. You Absolutely. know, well, why is this like this? Why is that like that? You know, I stepped into the microbiome, yes. understanding, having birthed my two children, um, that, you know, when you're pregnant, you're craving certain foods and you're, that food is the food that your kids end up eating later on. You know, my firstborn, Isn't I was craving crazy? vegetables and that's all she ate. My second one, I was craving junk food like French fries and nachos and disgusting food. That's all the kid eats. So you can almost see that you're preparing the baby. So that whole thought, you know, that came to me as a gastroenterologist because I also had the clue that I was carrying a child and, and that kind of gave me an insight into, you know, the microbiome, into things that not that men would not necessarily have figured out, right? That the microbiome is passed on from the mother to the child, that the pregnancy, the the whole time during the pregnancy is so important in nourishing your baby, but also making sure you're not stressed to have, you know, a difficult pregnancy. And then, the, you know, that stress can impact the birth of your child and the disease that your child's going to have. I think that's really, that was the insight that I had uh, as a woman. And I feel that, you know, medicine and GI has changed. You know, we didn't, we didn't look at the gut. We were just procedure oriented physicians, you know, like let's do a gastroscopy. Let's yeah. put a PPI. We right. didn't think, well, why is the reflux occurring to begin with? You know, why are people developing polyps? You know, now I'm seeing, now that I'm into the microbiome, I'm seeing polyps at a different world, as a different way, right? I'm seeing polyps as, yes, it's the precursor of cancer, but what if that polyp is actually developed because of an imbalance of the microbiome? What if there's a microbe in there wow. that's growing and creating that polyp, right? That's how my mind's going. So I think, you know, the idea of just doing colonoscopies. And, that, and, and to me, that was, you know, you have to remember, I, I went from gastroenterology, you know, to doing clinical trials, you know, 10% clinical trials for pharmaceutical companies and 90% GI. And then yeah. over the years, it became 90% clinical trials and 10% GI. The 90% time that I was spending doing clinical trials, I was doing it to advance medicine, to advance GI, to advance Crohn's disease, right? And when Crohn's disease mm -hmm. didn't have an answer, and I kept giving biologics after biologics and doing clinical trials after clinical trials, I said, there's got to be a better way. And really, that's that's the world we're in now, the, the world of, you know, doing fecal transplant opened up our eyes as gastroenterologists to, wait a minute, I, I fixed one kid. What did I do in one kid that fixed his Crohn's disease? And why can't I reproduce that in another kid? Why can I fix one and not the other? So I think that's getting doctors to start asking questions and, and it's getting us into the gut and it's getting us into the microbiome. In a way, I think the, the public, the world is excited about this because they want answers. They they feel in their guts that there's something there that started, you know? Yeah. And so this is an exciting field. This is an exciting field for GI. Um, it's it's keeping up, it's keeping us away a little bit from, you know, just doing procedures and writing prescriptions and being, you know, 
uh, more of scientist. And that's what I've had to become is a scientist in the lab to look at microbes, to see what microbes are doing, to see what microbes are doing in people with diverticular disease, to see what microbes are doing with people with reflux, with people with Crohn's disease, all sort of colitis, et cetera. So it's fascinating. Do you think, uh, we've, are we seeing an epidemic of some of these, um, diagnosed conditions? Like we, I didn't hear about Crohn's until the last maybe colitis, the last 15 years, now you hear it all the time. You know, diverticulitis, yeah, diverticulitis yeah, you hear it all the time. Do you feel like that's increasing? I think overall, all diseases are increasing, if you ask me. You know, uh, you have oh. Crohn's disease has gone up, ulcerative colitis has gone up, you know, diabetes, obesity, uh, heart disease. Oh, sure. I think all these diseases are, are increasing. Cancer, cancer is going to, we're going to have a big problem in, in the next decade yeah. with cancer. I think we're doing something overall, you know, in, in the world that is creating that change in the microbiome. I think if I look at it as, you know, an overall uh, problem, in humanity, we're definitely affecting the microbiome of humanity. You know, these diseases, um, you know, if you look at what we discovered with COVID, which was finding COVID in the stools, and then discovering that COVID, um, if you had COVID, you ended up having loss of bifidobacteria, which was an important microbe that newborns have, which is the trillion dollar industry of probiotics. Um, when you start looking at, you know, bifidobacteria and you start looking at Crohn's patients and you notice, wait a minute, Crohn's patients that have not been on medications have zero bifidobacteria. Then when you start looking at patients with Lyme disease and you start saying, wait a minute, patients with Lyme disease have zero bifidobacteria. Then you start looking mm. at patients with invasive cancer compared to people with non-invasive, right? You're thinking, you know, your mm -hmm. basal skin cancer versus mm -hmm. your pancreatic cancer, right? The pancreatic cancer has zero bifidobacteria. So you mm. start seeing bifidobacteria, this important microbe, we could almost see that it has a huge part in immunity. What is killing it? Why, what got us to this level where we have so much disease, so much Crohn, so much Lyme disease, so much, you know, um, cancer, invasive cancer. Think about invasive cancer in the kids, right? I mean, when a, when a 29-year-old mm. dies of colon cancer spread to the liver, you know, in six months, there's a problem there. Something happened. So what did we do to that kid that started growing normally? And then at 29, he developed colon cancer and now is dead. So this is something that we have to pay attention because um, the loss of bifidobacteria is something I take seriously when I discovered it. Um, it was something that I, I realized with COVID was a problem. You know, when you looked at severe COVID patients, they had zero bifidobacteria versus people that were exposed to COVID patients and never had COVID, had a lot of bifidobacteria. Your newborns that barely had a sneeze during COVID. Uh, you know, these babies have a lot of bifidobacteria as opposed to the old people that don't have any. So I think bifidobacteria is really the bacteria that kind of got us to start paying attention. And I think because of that, we're seeing these, I don't want to say, you know, epidemic of, of problems and diseases that are going up. Absolutely. We're killing the microbiome. This is just one microbe, by the way. Imagine other microbes like lactobacillus, which is, you know, practically disappearing in humans. And, and one wonders, well, is this why people can't tolerate dairy anymore? You know? So. Right. It's fascinating. Um, then why don't we oversimplify it and just put it in the water? Sure. Why don't put we it put in the water? Bifidobacteria in the water. We know, well, because remember they tried to do that with fluoride, and that that yes. ended up being a trick bag. I I drink water without fluoride, so I don't trust the government on what's best for my health. But in this case, I mean, if this is something, or why isn't this a supplement that we're just as we say, everyone take vitamin D, everyone take this certain um, bacteria I, to strengthen our guts. 
And I agree with that up to a certain point, right? The problem is it needs to reach the cecum, which is the end of your colon. So it has to bypass the stomach, mm-hmm. which is full of acid. It has to go through the small intestine, mm-hmm. which if you stretch it as the size of a tennis court, and then has to end up in the right. cecum. So for that one pill of, you know, probiotic, and I have actually, you know, a capsule here that I'm going to kind of show you for that little capsule here, full of probiotics, let's say, you know, it has to travel all the way and then empty. Is it, first of all, is that capsule alive or dead when they created that, right? Is the capsule safe for your microbiome mm-hmm. to begin with? And is it releasing exactly where you need it to be released? So there's a lot of factors mm-hmm. to just say, so that if we could say, well, let's put it in the water. The problem is, what are you doing to the water system? Are you altering the water system and the microbiome of the water by doing that, right? We tend to be reactionary. We we do, you know, action lead to a reaction. So we panic, we do this. I think the most important thing is realizing that, look, eventually it's going to regrow, but we just got to figure out how to stop killing it, right? Because I think... In, in one hand, yes, you can okay. give it Reverse. as a supplement, but then right. if you're killing it, you know, by doing something else, then you're not really doing anything. You know, you, I, and I compare this and I tell my patients this, I say, it's like, basically, um, you know, you have fire in your gut and you're putting water on one hand and then you're putting gasoline on the other. You're never going to mm-hmm. turn off the fire. You got to know what mm-hmm. are the problems that are killing your microbiome to begin with. And that's where we should be focused. So in my opinion. Well, let's talk about then hereditary genetics, DNA, how important it is, for, you know, because before we started, I was admiring your amazing hair and I was asking you about your ethnic background and you have a varied ethnic background. And yes. we then talked, I said that my father was a Russian Jew um, you said great microbiome. So my people, <laughs> resilient yes. that they the are, resilient also have microbiome, good microbiomes. Yes, yes. Isn't that interesting? So well, think about what Jews have mm-hmm. eaten for years. I mean, and, yes, and, and that could be obviously Israel, but I'm talking about Eastern European Jews. But tell me, is that based on where people come from, or it, is it more DNA? It, you know, it's an interesting you know, thing. I, it's, doctors will say, you know, it's all genetics. I tend to think that it's more microbiome. You know, we're, we're going to be showing that the microbiome wow. is passed on from mother to child. So here's the, the interesting thing, right? Is, is it the genetics that's passed on through families and therefore causing the problem? Or is it the microbes that are passed on from families and therefore causing the problem. When you look at, you know, for example, the Ashkenazi Jews and the persecutions and the exposure to, you know, concentration camps and pogroms and all that, you wonder, were they exposed to certain microbes that basically were passed on from generations to generation and Mm -hmm. therefore that microbe causes the problem, right? So, that's, that's the path that I'm going on anyways. I, I've kind of, you know, I, I, I pride myself as a scientist to, to be the complete opposite of everybody else because I feel like if everybody's looking right, then why am I, why do I need to look at right? I need to be left because that's where the answer might be, right? If everybody's, you know, looking for gold in one mountain, I'm going to go to the other mountain to look for it because, first of all, it's less crowded. So it's definitely less right, crowded. I like all the way you think. But, you know, the crowds are coming into the microbiome space, sure enough. So I know. I I think, you know, it is the it it is the holy grail. It is, you know, when you think Mm -hmm. about the process of death is really microbes in your gut eating your body and putting you back into the ground. These microbes, you know, you kind of acquire them through life so that they can start taking over your body and eventually they put you back in the ground. But think about those microbes are still alive under the ground, revamping themselves, going into the roots of a tree, going into an apple, going into a human. You know, the whole system is is just, it's a beautiful system of, you know, the circle of life, right? This It's a cycle. So when you look at generations and you look at you know, the resilient microbiome and you look at, you know, the Jewish microbiome, you know, that's still standing, you got to say, well, maybe there's something to that, 
right? You, you know, you can't, you can't kill them. They keep coming back. Maybe there's something to the microbiome. Maybe we shouldn't be focusing on killing them, right? Maybe that resilience is what we should all acquire. So here's an interesting other thing is that, and, and that's something I've kind of discovered. Um, when you do fecal transplant, it is never really the person that you think is the perfect match for another person, right? It is usually oh. the person that is completely separate. So it, it could either be someone in the family that we pick, right? That's kind of a similar uh -huh. and, or it could mm -hmm. be somebody that's completely separate that is having the microbes that you're lacking, so in essence, what's the beauty of the microbiome that I find is that, yes, the diversity of microbiome creates health, right? That's the whole thing we discovered on the microbiome. But here, when you look at, you know, and you were talking about genetics and races, et cetera, and, you know, being Russian or being Irish, think about the diversity in that microbiome that's different, right? Think about the Irish microbiome that's eating a certain food and think about the Mexican right. microbiome that's eating another food. Right. Here's one thing I discovered as a GI doctor through years of asking questions to my patients. It's interesting that it's always the Mexican that starts eating sushi starts getting having problems and the Japanese that starts eating Mexican changes their diet completely, starts having problems. Or the guy that was never eating breads and all of a sudden someone told him, hey, you need to eat, you know, multi-grain bread. And then all of a sudden develops problems, right? So you have to mm. ask yourself, is there a racial microbiome? Is there a mm. localized area of the planet microbiome? When you look at the Japanese in Japan, and you look at the Japanese in America, it's a different microbiome within the same family. And I've looked right. at that, right? Because we're always looking at, you know, kids with autism, et cetera. And one of the things that we discovered was basically when you give a child, when you compare a child and you try to find a match for that kid with autism and you take from his family that's in China and he's Chinese in America, the microbiome is very different. There's still some signature features that are similar, but it is still different because of that, you know, change in the environment. So you got to wonder, is the change, you, you see people that are moving, right? It, people from Egypt that moved to America or people from Portugal that moved to America or vice versa, you know, Japanese moves to Spain and then they, their microbiome is not, it is, is not their gut. They start having gut problems. You wonder if it's the change so of the environment, the change of the food. I was just in Brazil with my little one and, and my little one eats junk food like crazy, nachos. And, you know, Brazil <laughs> is not the, no, she has the worst diet in the history of diets uh, per the American diet, but honestly, a good microbiome. So she goes to Brazil wow. and of course it's all healthy food over there and f real fruits and real, you know, you know, because we went to areas that were really far from the beaten path and really trying to expose them to, you know, good microbes in the earth and good, uh, good avocados and good mangoes and good coconuts, right? Anyway, she was having digestive problem the whole time. And he, really? I have to say, because she stepped away from her regular diet, that was her comfort wow. zone. Yeah. So you're upset in the apple cart. You're, you know, you're changing your, your microbiome. You're basically, you know, changing it. Now, you know, at some point it reestablishes and, and you reflor the process that I like to call refloralization, which is essentially putting new flora in your gut and adjusting to that flora, to that new flora, uh, which is really your immunity, in my opinion. So the more you can expose your kids to things and kind of like toughen yeah. them up to that okay, it's going to pass your digestive issues. You're going to just get adjust. You're going to adjust and, and be fine. Um, but then there are some kids that just don't tolerate that and that have a specific microbiome, which, which then brings the question of, of, is there such a thing as a microbiome and colonic receptor, right? So is the microbiome 
of the gut linked with the receptors of the colon? Do these you know, microbes sit on receptors in the colon that are specific for that person? So it's it's really it's it's amazing because it really is a fingerprint um, that we see in the microbiome of individuals. When you go super deep to look at the microbiome, you see a fingerprint, almost like you know a, a, a DNA huh, unique of microbes. Yeah. And that's unique to you. Like I can, I'm matched to my mm-hmm. oldest daughter in our microbiomes and we actually look the same and our personalities are the same that we actually butt heads because we're really? so, di- we're so similar. Right. So much alike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But my, my husband and my little one are very similar in their microbiome and in their personality. And so me and my younger one are like more of a match, like me and my husband, um, and the two right. of them are kind of, you know, it, it's interesting to see that, that, you know, because my daughter, my oldest daughter will always say to me, mom, I'm so different than you. I'm like, no, you're not. We look the same and we're matched in our microbiome. So we're not, you that know, so, so different. Funny. So it is kind of funny. And it, that is so funny. It, it becomes even funnier when you start looking at kids with autism, where you see one kid that's neurotypical has a perfect microbiome and another kid with autism has an abnormal microbiome. So you could see the differences. Wow. Can you hear this? Well, you really can't. It's kind of silent. It's a plastic box, but it's my saliva hormone test kit that I picked up at Cornerstone Pharmacy and Compounding in Little Rock, Arkansas. For those of you listening anywhere in the world, you can go to compounding at cornerstone.com and you too can order one of these kits and you get 20% off when you use Lisa at checkout. I used my own name. It was a little awkward, but no, it wasn't at all because I shop there all the time. But that's where you can get 20% off the saliva or the Dutch hormone test and even their other products. If you want to order the supplements at Compounding at Cornerstone, you can do that. Now, Brittany helped me with this. She's the owner there because I noticed in some lab work that I was low in one of my sex hormones. And she said, let's just get to the bottom of it. Let's do some saliva testing. You see, you also get extra expert advice. Now, they don't give medical advice per se because they can't write the prescription, but they can push you in a direction, the people there, and say, oh, you might need to see this provider. Now, I have a provider. You've met her before on my podcast, Lindsay Gillum-Ponwith, but uh, we do need to tweak. And that's why Dr. Mark Hyman says, test, don't guess. So if you're wondering about your hormone profile, do it right now. Order the test. You can get it tested, get the results back, and you get the expert advice. Compounding at cornerstone.com. I did a brilliant thing recently. I called David's Burgers for their burger bar. Now, if you've listened to my podcast, or if you're in central Arkansas, you know the name David's Burgers. And that's because these people, they know how to flip a burger, serve a burger, and their customer service is second to none. But what they also know to do and how to do it, it's how to cater a party. Now, the requirements on the burger bar is just more than 10 people. I had 28, so that was easy. Check. They even told me when I came to pick it up, they said, Miss Fisher, we would have delivered it to your home. And I went, really? It was so convenient for me to go because I just popped the back of the SUV and they put in, they brought in the burgers uh, that are in the buns. They uh, bring the cheese separately. They have all the fixins, and then they have the French fries. And that's what these kids went crazy for. In fact, there were, there were about mm-hmm, eight teenagers in this crowd. So they all were very familiar with David's Burgers and the fries. People go crazy over it. People go crazy over their food. And it was just a simple thing to do. Cleanup was easy. I'm recommending for 2024, you make it your life's goal to do this one time, and then you'll do it often. But if you need catering, call David's Burgers. Um, I'm thinking of this story, or my own story is that uh, my son just married a girl from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and they are living with us until he gets sent off. He's an engineer and they're going to match him to his location. They, he, he just doesn't have a project site yet. And so we are learning so much about uh, Brazilian food and culture. In fact, uh, we're recording this the first week of January and in Brazil, they wear yellow and green underwear for good luck on yes. New Year's Day. And we eat Black Eyed Peas. So she thought Black Eyed Peas were a band. She didn't know it was a food. 
and uh, oh the God. good luck food. So we've introduced all this food to her. But the one thing I've noticed, we I'm not a gluten eater uh, just because of all my autoimmune conditions. I wonder about right. the glyphosate, really, not the gluten. I don't have a gluten sensitivity, but we all have a glyphosate sensitivity. I think we can agree with that. Yes. But it's funny with her here, we keep foods that are very familiar to her. She wants bread, rice, beans, meats. Yes. And we don't have the exotic fruits. We can't get them in the U.S. No, you where can't. Where we are no. landlocked in Little Rock, Arkansas. No, there are and things actually, I've never heard. Not plantains, but there are other things I've never heard of. Yes. But what's so interesting is how we run from gluten in the U.S. or maybe it's a niche market and it's cool to do right. it. But she's never heard of that. Well, the other thing is the people, they ate what was served to them. There wasn't a lot of choices and they had a lot of meats, beans and rice and bread right. and the podicasia, the Brazilian cheese bread that's made with tapioca flour, which is gluten-free. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's my daughter more- loved those tapioca f- crepes. Yeah. Oh, she makes them here all the time. I mean, you end up eating them so like candy funny. because yes. they pop them in your mouth like a donut hole. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but I eat them because I'm trying to stay away from gluten. But it's funny how the things that we have villainized as foods, she embraces. She embraces carbs. She's the size of this pen. I mean, there's nothing yeah, no, to her. She's no. skinny as a stick. But is yeah. so is that her microbiome that That's has her microbiome, uh, yeah. navigated her? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want want her microbiome. Let me tell you, I have kids that are my super donors and they basically eat what I consider junk food, right? Pizza, nachos, French fries, and they have an amazing microbiome and they're super slim, right? I wish I had that microbiome. I've lost it. I used to have that microbiome. I would eat like a Subway sandwich, no problem. When we were younger. yeah. Yeah, but is it because we're young, we were younger because we had so much good microbes or is it because we've because yeah. of the stress of our lives and everything else we've yeah. put into our bodies you know from alcohol to antibiotics to everything we've put into our bodies did we decrease our our immunity did we decrease our ability to metabolize foods i think so 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 alcohol yeah. is an enemy to our microbiome correct I, you know, they, there's studies showing one glass of wine, one one glass of tequila is good for your microbiome. I, I think 10 more than that is not good. It's a sterilizer if you think about it. You know, what is alcohol? It's a, not, it's a sterilizer. So, you yep. know, I, I tend to tell patients to stop drinking because you're killing everything. And then once you've killed it, now you can live with a sterile gut, right? Like you can live in a mm-hmm. bubble, fully sterile, or you can live with a diverse gut and be in the forest and be in the garden and be planting and be, you know, like in the Amazon jungle. So it all depends which side, but you cannot go from like sterility to dirt without having the proper immunity to fight off, you know, that, that environment. So, and that's the problem that happens. So you see people that were living a life of sterility and they're catered. And then all of a sudden they decide they're going to go to India and go barefoot on the ground of India. Right. Big mistake. You know, you're now a a, a reservoir that's empty, an empty vessel for parasites to come in. Those parasites are going to find ways and then you end up coming home sick and then you go, oh my God, what happened to me? So that's it. It's a, there's a researcher. Well, uh, Brian Sanders has a site called food lies and he's starting a film. It's really fascinating. And he went during COVID to Africa. One of the countries remember was open. They, they were like, yes. we're not acknowledging COVID. Yes. It is not a thing. You, you can't wear a mask and right. they drink poop water. He said yes. it is literal poop water. He yes. said, he, because his microbiome is in, from Austin, Texas and it's yes. been it's very Western. He Clean. said it would kill him. He goes, but yes. the people there thrive. They're barefoot. They yes. hunter gatherers. I mean, it's a yes. fasting. I forget the name of the yes. tribe and a lot of people know it, but it just shows that really location, 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 location. has so much to do with your health. A hundred percent. And I'll, I'll tell you my own story. So I, I was born in Morocco and you know, my parents, oh, I mean, I, I remember, you know, but Morocco back then, I mean, you know, it was, it was just, 
it wasn't like it is today. But even today, it's it's not you know as modernized as America is, and as you know, the food still tastes like foods, and the fruits still taste like fruits. But I was born in Morocco, and you know, I remember my parents taking me to the desert and taking me to the, all these places that were just so off mm-hmm. the beaten path. And then we moved to Montreal, Canada, you know, microbiome takes changes there. And then I moved to America, you know, Florida, California, New York, et cetera. And I got to tell you, I went back to Morocco um, last, uh, this summer, last summer, and I had a toxic E. coli that almost killed me. (gasps) Now here I had gone to Morocco as a kid to the same place that I was there drinking that water, right? So I was exposed to E. coli back then, didn't really affect me. I leave that environment. I killed my microbiome because I've now, you know, lost a lot of diversity that I had from Morocco. And now I've gone to Montreal, sterile country to America, over sterilized, you know, eating all those salads with the pesticides and everything and drank the alcohol and had a lot of stress and took antibiotics and vaccines, et cetera. Killed my microbiome over time. Next thing you know, I go back to Morocco. I'm a sterile gut. You know what I mean? I've not been exposed to that environment. It nearly killed me, but, you know, somehow what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So it was fine. But I know exactly where I got it. It was in the desert and I was asking for ice in the water. Big mistake. (laughs) Because I drank the water bottle, but I asked for the ice. The ice came from the local water. So, you know, we don't think of these things. My daughter just had this happen. She travels the world, got E. coli in Greece two years ago, had some watermelon, and then went to Thailand last April, got typhoid fever, got septic. Yeah. She was she drank some water in a village, walked barefoot with the natives. Yeah. Um, in the mountains. She went yeah. down to Phuket. She was also on the beach. So we did think it was dengue fever or malaria. Yeah. But it was it was that though she eats a very varied diet, but still a Western. Her she's from the U.S. Oh she, yeah, she couldn't take it, and it almost killed her. I mean, I'm laughing yeah. now because she's totally healed. But it was such a scary time, and now I'm seeing geographically. So, how do we protect ourselves geographically when we travel if we want to embrace the culture? So, I think you know the first thing is um, you know. You know you're going to be hit if you're going into those areas, right? So make sure your vitamins are up to par. Your vitamin C, your vitamin D level is up okay. to par. That's the one thing. All right. um, you know, with the E. coli, what I did was I did uh, bovine. I have this uh, bovine immunoglobulins that I um, that I make for my patients with inflammatory bowel disease, et cetera. And we actually just published on bovine immunoglobulins. Um, so I'm very, wow. very... Um, keen on, you know, you see me, I analyze the poop of the cows because I want to make sure the poop is fine. So we had, I had a study. No, no, because listen, I don't want to, I don't need to kill the cow to get the blood to basically make sure the blood is safe, right? I can see the stools and from the stools, it tells me whether the cow is healthy or not, in my opinion. So anyway, so so I tested the cows uh, for this product, particular um, product. I tested the bovine. So I had an interesting case of a patient with Crohn's disease that I gave bovine immunoglobulins and the patient actually resolved his Crohn's symptoms with bovine. And it turned out that he had a bacteria um, that was a bacteroides category, which is a, you know, one of those bad bugs, uh, you know, for him. And he was had an overabundance of it. So what happened is I gave him, you know, on a whim, I was doing a clinical trial with a pharmaceutical company that was owning the company, the, that was basically owning the bovine immunoglobulins at the time. And they said, well, you know, it's a good nutritional supplement for Crohn's patient. You should try it. So I said, well, this patient really wanted fecal transplant. It wasn't available in America. It's still not available for Crohn's disease. So I said, well, why don't you try this bovine immunoglobulin, right? So he started taking like one scoop of the bovine and he took it for about a month. All of a sudden his symptoms improved. His fecal calprotectin went down. His CDAI was better. So I actually published on the case on the Progenobiome website to showcase this case. So bovine immunoglobulin was like something I used for this case. And I realized early on that it kind of dropped those bacteroides, right? 
So when COVID hit, I had a couple of patients that had those long haulers, right? Those leaky gut. So I basically decided, well, you know what? I'm going to start, um, you know, giving some bovine immunoglobulins to, to these patients and see if anything happens. And lo and behold, they started improving. So I became wow. obsessed about bovine and I decided, let me look into it, right? What is it doing? So we actually started giving it to like 20, 30 patients and published. And last year we presented at American College of Gastro. It actually increases the bifidobacteria, decreases the bacteroides, decreases the proteobacteria, which is E. coli. So guess what happened when I was nearly dying with E. coli in Morocco? I came home and I was starting to do my clinic. I was so exhausted and so sick from, you know, back and forth to the bathroom with E. coli that I went home and I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to take this bovine and just take it. E. coli is bad. Within four hours, I was back to normal. So it swallows, it's the bovine swallows the E. coli, it binds it and then flushes it out of your system. So it is something that I discovered. Um, and so because I am, you know, uh, careful about these products, I kind of joined up with the company and said, look, I, I'm going to start, you know, testing it. I'm going to start giving it to my patients. And so that's one thing that I carry with me. If I was stuck in a desert, if oh, I'm going anywhere, right. I take my little powder. Duly with me. noted. <laughs> Yeah, that'll save you. The second thing that'll save you is a good source of vitamin C, uh, making sure that the vitamin C does not have any, you know, contaminants in there, that it's a good company that sells it. You know, that I was stuck like you, like your daughter in Thailand, and my husband had, and, and that's probably the first time that I started looking at the whole you know, importance of vitamin C. My husband had a high fever. My daughter, my youngest one had a high fever. I did not want to catch what they had. And we don't know what, it was probably MERS at the time. They were super sick. So me and my daughter decided we're going to pop some vitamin C like crazy just to not catch this. And we didn't catch it. Well, fast forward to COVID. If you remember, my protocols were hydroxychloroquine, ZPAC, vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc. So vitamin C, vitamin D, we discovered increases bifidobacteria. That's how it helps. So, and we published on that, by the way, vitamin D also increases bifidobacteria. Zinc increases lactobacillus. For those people, and we're actually doing clinical trials right now, uh, for those people that are lactose intolerant, we are basically, um, you know, giving them vitamin C, D, and zinc to see, you know, specific vitamin that we basically created just to see if that's improving their lactose intolerance. Because we had a couple of cases where people say, you know what, after three months of being on your vitamins, I'm starting to eat dairy. So I think vitamins, nutrition is very important. The right supplements, the right quality products is very important. So if you're going abroad, you know, I have like this, this thing now that I have this emergency pack that I take when I go abroad, you know, ivermectin is one of those because you never know. Yeah. You could catch a parasite. You could have like right. one of those weird infection. Well, you know what? Ivermectin may be a good pill to have in your emergency packet. And and by the way, scabies and lice is still out there in those countries. So, you know, you, is that right? you know, and scabies and lice, you know, does a, ivermectin does a great job with scabies and lice. They were actually, my sister did the clinical trial that brought ivermectin to market. So I know very well, that's what, that was what was bothering me about COVID the whole time was, wait a minute, we're giving ivermectin to babies with with lice and we can't give it to people that are dying with COVID? Made no sense whatsoever. It was so ridiculous. And then calling it a horse base and all that, I just like lost it. uh, Just ridiculous. And it got so political so quick. I thought we were in the business of helping people. Yeah, and then, it, it just it, yeah, that was the crazy. one thing this pandemic that bothered me was like we it was supposed to be the time where you could shine and help your friend or your neighbor. And instead it oh, became, no. you know, a price of a stock. That's what it was all about. Yes. And, and you end up virtue signaling that I've had 19 shots and boosters and I wear a mask and you don't. So you're a sinner. You right. know, I, I remember wearing a mask around town because I thought I don't want to be posted on social media as, you know, a bad right. person. 
And right. that it but that virtue signaling pressured me into doing something I didn't want to do. I won't do it again. But it, I, I, I and, mean, I and it made that, but no sense. It made no sense for those who were healthy to wear a mask. You know, I can understand the you know a person saying they're coughing, wear a mask. cancer right. patients. Absolutely, it's freedom of choice, hundred percent. You're immunosuppressed, you. but you're healthy. Why would you want to put a mask that is accumulating right. a bunch of microbes back and forth? You know, your immunity no, it, is around you. It's you're accumulating immunity from your air. You want to be hiking. My biggest thing in Malibu was when they closed the beaches. And that's when I now, basically said, okay, that was, I, I lost, I lost faith oh in gosh. our government when that happened. I said, this is ridiculous. A bunch they of idiots are running people. the show. Yeah. They're I arresting remember. people on beaches and the beach parks. I'm but, like, it's, but it's salt water. Salt, salt water, sterilizes. which is what I do when I don't feel well. I use salt yeah. water. But they they kept the strip clubs open and the liquor stores. Yes. Yet they closed yes. beaches and churches. That uh, if that yes. wasn't politically divided, nothing mm-hmm. was. Okay, so I, I can't believe how fast this interview is going. Progenobiome is your company. Can I buy yes. some bovine immunoglobulin? Yes, there? yes. So it's a biomeboosters.com. You can get it from there. Okay. Um, yes. So we put it out okay. there, you know, for the public. And and I'm always available. All right. Uh, I'm writing that down. On that. So. Now, all of this will be in our show notes. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. I've got a tickle in my throat talking about it. Um, uh, and what about ivermectin? Can we get that? We can get that over the counter, right? No, you can't. It's not. Some states, I think, have it over oh. the counter. Some states have it over That's the counter. I thought, I thought in Arkansas, it was we could get it at the feed stores. Yeah, so you can get it because we have like, a lot of livestock. So specialized pharmacies is what I recommend people to go to. There's a lot of specialized pharmacies that actually dispense it. And listen, people eat sushi, raw fish all day long. The likelihood that they have a parasite from the sushi is really high. So it gives them about that. Okay. Okay. So it gives them an in to getting the ivermectin in the event that, you know, they can't get it for whatever reason. I personally think it, you know, it's not something I would take on a regular basis, but if you're stuck in the middle of nowhere and you're super sick and, you know, why not? You know, it's, it's not a bad drug. It's a safe enough drug. Um, you know, definitely, you know, was a huge player for me for COVID patients. You know, when I had patients that were desaturating uh, in the sixties and I saw it went from 63% wow. to 82% after giving ivermectin, and why? Because it actually increases bifidobacteria. We showed that on the data at ACG again. So I think, you know, there's going to be a time where we're going to start looking at these microbes, kind of like looking at a hemoglobin of a blood test, you know, and, and seeing whether a person yeah. needs a blood transfusion. There's going to be a time where we're going to need to look at these microbes and say, patient is missing bifidobacteria. Here's a little bit of vitamin D. Here's a little bit of vitamin C. Here, maybe we, you know, can give them some ivermectin. You know, they're doing cancer studies. I told you about loss of bifidobacteria and invasive cancer. They're actually doing um, studies on cancer and ivermectin. So it's an it's an exciting new world. Hopefully, it's a world that's not going to be censored too much and allow us as physicians to see the truth. Well, you know, it's that's the problem. Depending how people vote. I, I agree. I agree. Yes. And depending on what message, it, who you're watching, what you're listening to, I've made it very clear, and I'm a longtime journalist, I haven't turned the TV news on since March 10th, 2020. Don't know who's on, don't care, because I don't choose to get, they were using scare tacti- tactics in the beginning. And so yes. I choose to get my news from my device, from the sources I trust. And yeah, so, that's how you do uh, it. Because I see people get brain, brainwashed and, and running to the hills that we're all on fire and we weren't on fire. I, I was so fact, fortunate I, this I mean, pandemic. Just, I mean, no, no, no. I was so fortunate this pandemic to be linked up with some good, righteous physicians, you know, working with Dr. Tom Barodi, who was the father of fecal transplant, you know, working with Peter McCullough, wow. working with Pierre Corey, working with all these guys. Yeah. 
and and seeing the truth, you know, Keith Berkowitz, you know, I mean, there's so many good doctors out there, Sheldon Jordan, and so many physicians that have been really trailblazers, you know, in medicine, you know, Sheldon Jordan is like the top neurologist in the world, in my opinion, and Sasha Bistritsky for anxiety and psychiatry. So to be able to work with these guys and to trust them, because at the end of the day, I'm not going to trust a politician with my life. I'm going to trust the guy who wrote a book on the disease, right? You know, I and when is I it tried, bought and paid for? Is that's and is that's not the other bought thing. and it's paid finding for? Out who did the research? Yes, yeah. and and, really, and really who scary. is doing the Don't. research for research for the solving the mystery of the problem? Not paid to sell a drug. That's a big difference. I know. I mean, it, it, uh, it just makes me crazy when people come to me and it's the same thing just because I'm a health coach. I don't give medical advice, but hearing that someone wants to put them on a statin because their cholesterol is 202, you know, I go, the cholesterol is right. not going to kill you. But, right. but they're saying, but my doctor said, well, your doctor is educated by the people who get to go to really nice vacations because your doctor is writing the prescription. I mean, just... It, Follow I the money it, is what we say. Yeah, COVID. and I think also there's the doctors have been. It's not even about the money. It's the doctors have been handcuffed. You saw it with COVID. They were afraid to yeah, write drugs. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for, especially in California. Yeah, in yeah. California, you all you couldn't, couldn't even say anything. You had to recommend. Yes, yeah. you had to recommend. Your yes. mouth, woo, zip. Yes. And we oh, had to fight for that, that AB twenty ninety eight. You know that law that basically tried to censor us. Yeah. You know, and 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 here's the problem: is at the end of the day, those politicians are going to be patients. You know, we're all going to be patients. So, <laughs> you know, right. we cannot That's interfere right. with research. We cannot interfere with science. Science has to be unbiased. Even me, you know, I'm in this field, and I I have a genetic sequencing lab. I try to stay as objective as possible. You know, when I started with the whole hydroxychloroquine protocol, and that was my patent, by the way, you know, I could have easily sold it to someone and say, oh, let's develop this protocol, hydroxy, z vitamin C, D, and zinc. It's the answer to COVID. But what I discovered was that it was not the answer for everybody. It was the answer for the people that were like really sick, that had zero bifidobacteria, but it was not the answer for the young, healthy person because it could affect their microbiome. So I started saying, well, I don't want to push this drug because then everybody's going to start thinking that they all should be taking it. Then we're going to kill the microbiome. So there was a better option for the young people. You know, there was a better option. Ivermectin was a better option. Doxycycline, zinc was a better option for young people. And then vitamins alone became a, a better option for young people. You know what I mean? So I think we have to stay, mm -hmm. you know, objective. We have to stay humble. We have to stay legit because when we become the patient, then it backfires on us, you know, this you know, changing the data and altering the data. And unfortunately, we are living in a world that is manipulating data right now. The pharmaceutical companies are corrupt and bought. And, and I've been in the field for 30 years doing clinical trials. I've seen the progression. I've seen to where we are here. This is no longer about science or medicine. So, Dr. Hazen, on that, we're dropping the mic. That's what the kids say when... Uh when your point has been made. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. All information back, Dr. Hazen, on in the show notes. And uh, everybody, let's drink up our bovine uh, immunoglob. I'll, I'll drink to that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.